Hello and welcome to the Irish Fire Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Halton. I'm an entrepreneur, investor, and financial independence enthusiast, sharing my financial freedom journey. Stay tuned and welcome aboard. Here we are at episode 71, and today marks two years since the Irish Fire podcast was first launched. In the same vein as last year, I decided to launch a special anniversary episode. Today we are interviewing Andrew Driver, who is one of the foundation members of the Limerick FI meetup group. Andrew has been investing for a number of years and is well on his way to financial independence. In the interview, we talk about investment trusts, which are a great vehicle to invest in Ireland to get around the horrid deemed disposal tax that exists here. Just to put a disclaimer out there, as always, obviously this is not financial advice. Please take Andrew's advice for educational purposes only and seek out to your own financial advisor before deciding if investment trusts are right for you. As always, if you have any questions on the episode, reach out to me at michael at firepodcast.ie. Otherwise, let's jump over to the interview. Mr. Andrew Driver, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know we're here today to talk about investment trusts, but I guess for some of those listeners that aren't in the Limerick FI Meetup group, do you want to let us know a little bit about your background and how you discovered financial independence? Yeah, so um, yeah, thanks for having me on, Mike. Um, I I got involved in the financial independence group, I suppose, nearly nearly two years ago now, uh, from the very earliest days of the the group meeting up in Limerick when there was only a, a small handful of us. Um, and I suppose my own background and why I was interested in to get it, to get involved in financial independence came about maybe. You know, uh, from my own family background, uh, my parents were always very good with money and uh, it was sort of ingrained in there a little bit. But as I as I moved on with my own life and career, um, I grew up through the, or I matured through the Celtic Tiger and seeing the excesses of that uh, stage in Irish development. So, yeah, I led on and I ultimately became a civil engineer after I finished in college. I, I began working and uh, realized very early on that uh, it was a fairly sort of a high risk business. So I realized that maybe I was going to need a buffer, a good safety net to fall back on. So I started looking for alternative sources of income, um, whether it be property or the stock market. And uh, I suppose one thing led to another. And uh, that's how I kind of really got interested um, and Fast forward 10 years later, I'm in the Limerick FI group. Excellent, excellent. Now, I guess the reason that uh, we're particularly interested to hear what you've got to say is is you gave a presentation a month or two back now on investment trusts uh, in the Limerick FI meetup group. And for me, it was a game changer. You've actually found something which gets around the big issue of the 41% tax and the deemed disposal. Um, I mean, I guess, what are these investment trusts and, and what are they not, I guess? Yeah, I suppose before we get into that, maybe I'll just give some reference material because, uh, you know, it's important people can do their own background reading. And I've 
I've only been looking at certain aspects of them, but uh, they're they're you know they're hundreds of years old, and uh, they have uh, there's so many nuances to them. Uh, so, I mean, if people are looking for just a very quick overview of them, the the IT Investor blog. Just Google IT Investor, it'll come up, and uh, there's a UK guy there who has a blog, excellent uh, source of material, or even as a podcast, the Money Makers podcast. Um, it just concentrates on investment trusts or um, the Association of Investment Companies website. There's actually 400 um, investment trusts registered on there. Uh, so all UK and Irish investment trusts, well, they're mainly UK, but there is actually one or two Irish ones floating around there as well. And uh, you can literally divide that out by sector, any particular area that interests you. You can go on there, search in a particular sector and uh, have a look at any investment trust, any of the 400 that are on there. Or then uh, investment trusts, unlocking the city's best kept secret. It's a book by John Barron, highly recommend it. It's actually not that not that old. It was only published last year, so it even mentions COVID a bit in it. Very informative book. Highly recommend it again. So, yeah, but uh, getting back to your question, um, what are they and what are they not? I suppose what they are, they're a public limited company, the same as Google, Facebook, any other major conglomerate. So they're a conglomerate of, or a company that invests in and owns other companies. Um, mainly now, the more common investment trusts that Irish people at the would be very familiar with over the last couple of months in the media is REITs. So that's real estate investment trusts, and they specifically invest in property. But from the investment trust sphere, they're only a very small portion of what investment trusts are, are out there. You can get an investment trust that actually invests in anything from airplane leasing, boat leasing. The more common stocks and shares ones, bonds, uh, guaranteed secure income. But there, and I suppose one of the more important points is there's no deemed disposal on, um, on investment trusts. So an investment trust is a what people would often call a closed-ended fund. So that means that there's only a set number of shares that exist, like any company on the stock market. Now, what they're not... And it's very important. They're not open-ended funds. Like an ETF is an open-ended fund. Or if you bought a fund from Zurich or uh, New Ireland Life, they're all open-ended funds. And actually, very interestingly, right, all mutual funds that exist in the United States, and it's where a lot of Irish investors get their information from, are all open-ended funds. The closed-ended structure doesn't necessarily exist in the States. So when Irish people think of investment trusts, they think of mutual funds and they think of all the bad stories they've heard of uh, commentators such as uh, Mr. Uh, Money Mustache or someone like that, whereas investment trusts are not open-ended funds. So therefore, they can't just be closed down and you lose your money. So what actually investment trusts what they are is they're a limited company who invest in stocks or bonds or a particular asset class that they think can bring money to their investors. I suppose that's a bit of a long-winded answer to your question, Mike, I think, is it? No, no, that's perfect. That's absolutely perfect. 
Very, very, very interesting, actually. So effectively, to, to summarize, they are basically companies that own various assets and other companies and things like that. And, you know, they can be invested in. So we, we mentioned or you mentioned there that they don't apply to the deemed disposal. How and why is that? I mean, is there, is there a particular reason why they can't be taxed or the government can't come along and say, right, we're now going to start taxing these at 41% and deemed disposal will apply? Yeah, so interestingly enough, the Irish government uh, brought out legislation in 2013 formally recognising REITs. Now, they didn't actually talk about investment trusts that invest in other asset classes, such as the stocks and bonds. But And they did talk about REITs, and they talked about the taxing of REITs. And the taxing REITs are taxed effectively on 33% capital gains, and the income, the dividend is taxed on uh, at your marginal rate of tax. So effectively, they kind of set the precedent there to some degree. But of course, there's still a gray area around what investment trusts are. But from a revenue perspective, I can see how difficult it, difficult it would actually be. I mean, if you took, say, as an, an example, PepsiCo, right? It, it owns about or it owns either fully or shares in about two other, 200 other companies, right? So technically, what is the difference between PepsiCo and uh, an investment trust in the UK, there is a, a tax difference in that for an investment trust uh, to call itself an investment trust, it needs to pay out 85% of its income to its investors. And on that basis, it doesn't pay any corporation tax. So that allows it to grow very efficiently. Now, the, the UK customs or the UK uh, revenue get their money from the dividends and uh, the, the income side from, but the UK government does that to uh, encourage people to invest and so on and have their money grow. But it doesn't stop Irish people investing in those same investment trusts. Yeah, very good. And uh, I mean, in terms of you mentioned earlier that some of them have been around for a long time. Are you able to give some examples of those and exactly how long they've actually been around? Yeah, so an interesting enough statistic um, about, uh, I think it's very close to about 50 investment trusts have actually been been around more been around longer than world war ii um and that's investment trusts that are trading today and investment trusts that actually i i personally have some investments in i actually think it's it's funny sometimes their their names can be very deceiving you know because because they've been around for so long their names don't really describe what they actually do today so as an interesting fact the biggest investment trust that exists is scottish mortgage but Scottish Mortgage uh, was set up in 1909 um, to give to put mortgages in place or uh, for companies that were investing in Malaysia rubber plantations, and they were investing in Malaysia rubber plantations for this up and new up and coming technology, which was called automobiles, which needed rubber tires. You know, so but Scottish Mortgage has grown since its inception in 1909 to an 18 billion pound investment trust today and i suppose that leads on to the the question how can these very old investment trusts or investment companies keep themselves live dynamic and uh, you know ahead of the game and constantly keep reimagining them, themselves and their their way forward but what they do in the most part is um I, if they're not performing or if they've gone through a period of bad performance often what they would do the investment trust themselves they would put out the their investment management or their investment manager role to tender to 
to an investment companies. So all the investment companies would come together and they would come to an, an investment trust and they'd say, right, so we're going to have, um, we will, uh, we will start investing in, you know, IT or we will invest in e- an ESG kind of mandate. And, uh, we'll come at it from a different perspective. And by the way, we'll do that for 0.35% of your net value per year uh, as fees. So they keep it keeps the fees lows and it allows the investment trust constantly to um, change and evolve and uh, stay relevant. And I mean, I guess if you're in a situation then when in many cases, it sounds like you're not just buying into the investment trust you're also buying into the fund manager, largely, I guess. So there's obviously a little bit of that element of it. So how does that kind of work? I mean, do you buy these? Do you buy into these investment trusts through a through a, a brokerage? And if you are, how is the price of the shares actually calculated? Yeah, so that's a, it's a very good question because that's actually the difference. Really, going back to the point we mentioned earlier, the difference between an open ended trust and a closed ended trust, like in like these investment trusts. So being closed-ended, it means that they only have a set amount of shares and it means that they can go and actively sell those on the stock market. So you can buy them through like interactive brokers or through any stock broker really because they're just they're just the same as any other uh, publicly limited company. So then that comes back to how they're valued. And so they're valued on a net asset value basis. So you'd see NAV often talked about. And very interestingly, there's, there can be very good value to be had in investment trusts because you'll often, when you go on to the Association of Investment Companies, the AIC website, you will often see that the, a particular investment trust is trading at a discount. And that's often a phrase used, a discount or a premium to its net asset value. So if a particular, disc, a particular investment trust had, say, you know, a million euros in particular shares. Well, it might actually be trading at, and it might be trading at a good bit less than what its actual value of those underlying shares are because investors mightn't ultimately be happy with the the investment manager. So you'd often see that it's trading at a discount. So um, it can, there can be very good value to be had because ultimately the managers tend to stay around for a very long time and you'll often find that the investors tend to have a lot of faith in the managers and they tend to invest for a very, very long time. Because the managers are around for a long time, they can implement a sort of a, a whole thesis and give it time to evolve. It's not like an open-ended trust or an open-ended fund, I mean, that has to make cash immediately. I mean, close-ended trust can invest all their money or a very large proportion of it because they don't have to hold back cash because they don't need to pay out um, investors at a whim or investors who will call and say, I want my money. So uh, it gives them a lot more, the investor or the investment manager now, I mean, it gives them a lot more ability to kind of follow a particular investment thesis. So yeah, but look, going back to your point, you are heavily invested in the manager but these guys have a very long track record in the most case. And they usually have a second as well who's learning from them. So when they do ultimately retire or leave, the second, their, their second, their, their deputy has usually been there for five or 10 years. And it tends to be quite seamless to change over. But, uh, and I suppose the point we made earlier on about an investment trust sh- trading at a discount, 
that's necessarily it's not always a reflection of the investment manager it might be the fact you could go on today and buy um an investment trust in it say right there's five or six different types of them who just buy it related shares and you know they're all trading at a 10 percent discount now that's nothing to do with the manager it's more to do with the fact that you know high level growth stocks and it stocks are just a little bit of out, out of favor at the moment but if you thought that it related stocks were going to be the thing for the next 10 years and you were planning to invest for the next 10 years, well, you could go on and buy an investment trust at a 6% discount to the actual underlying stock value today, set and forget, buy it, and uh, you've bought automatically bought at a discount. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, right? It's amazing to think that this has been here right under our noses all this time and it's just been something that hasn't, uh, hasn't really been talked about from an Irish context. So, Andrew, I'm delighted that you're actually sharing this information. And, and again, thank you for your time and even researching this stuff in the first place. So it's, uh, it's great. Um, and I guess I know you, you mentioned earlier in relation to dividends. So obviously for, for those pursuing financial independence, dividends are a vital part of it. So, I mean, I'm assuming that some of these pay dividends or more dividends than others is that fair to say yeah so the the dividend side of investment trust tends to be quite a large bit of it big because they're seen as very secure i suppose by uk investors especially you can easily buy an investment trust there that will pay you five or six percent uh dividend and still do three or four percent capital growth a year but um, and I mean, there's there's investment trusts such as City of London or Henderson Far Eastern Income or Mori International. You know, they're all going to be they're all going to pay you a good discount. Um, but as I was saying to to you the other day, there there is actually another approach which is very unique to investment trusts, and that's that of enhanced dividends. Now, what what that actually is. So you will take take as an example um, J.P. Morgan uh, Global Income and Growth. That's an investment trust, a very large investment trust. It's been around since eighteen eighty seven, so it has a bit of pedigree. It uh, it has assets of about one point seven billion pounds. Um, it has a portfolio relatively concentrated of about sixty stocks, uh, global stocks, uh, in and well spread out over the the roughly 11 sectors and uh, what they actually do is they don't concentrate on dividend stocks they concentrate on just good companies that they think have good long-term growth prospects and uh, so they get to the end of their uh, tax year and they might have they might have maybe one or two percent of a dividend to pay out but what they do is they trim off their best performing stocks and they pay out 4% of their net asset value every year in a dividend to their investors. So you're getting the combination of capital growth in very, well, in relatively fast growing companies um, who traditionally, as we all know, traditionally high dividend paying companies are not fast growing companies. So you get the, the 4%. And uh, now you could get a bad year when their their net asset value, the market's down in a particular year where that might be down. But if you look back at the last 10 years now, obviously, as we all know, the the past is no reflection of what's coming in the future. But if you look back at the last 10 years, that JP Morgan Investment Trust has actually kept up with the MSCI 
global index. It has matched it perfectly for the last 10 years. And you can see those stats on the AIC website. And since 2015, I think off the top of my head, it's been paying that enhanced dividend. So as well as paying the 4% rule that it's paying, it's you're still getting all the capital growth. And on top of that, it being an investment trust, it is selling the, the shares and paying the capital gains on its side. It's paying it to you as a dividend, which will come into your account as an income. So if you happen to be on the low bracket of tax, you might only pay maybe 20-25% tax on that actual dividend. And then if you decided to trim off the top and start selling it because it's it would be growing fairly well, uh, it would be appreciating, you, you're only going to be paying capital gains tax on it at 33%. So from an Irish investor perspective, the likes of that JP Morgan now JP Morgan actually have four other funds which are actually all which all pay an enhanced dividend approximately around four percent so from an Irish investor perspective it's a it's a way to go you know when you compare it against say an ETF at 41 percent it definitely has a lot of advantages yeah amazing amazing right so it's quite a discovery and and as you mentioned there in relation to the four percent and income that's extremely powerful. And I know, look, I will get feedback on that and some people will say, ah, but I'll be paying 50% tax on that. But as, as I've often said on the show before, it's about kind of putting yourself in a position where you no longer have that job and that income coming through and then you can take advantage of the much lower tax bracket that does exist if you're not uh, over that threshold. So yeah, that's that's very, very good. Now, I know that there are some cons and I guess we should probably cover some of them off as well so some of these we've mentioned obviously already so we, we talked about the fact that these are basically sort of priced on supply and demand rather than the actual uh, asset value value and i'm assuming that a lot of these are also priced in pounds is that correct yeah correct yeah um i suppose talking about um the cons actually just before i go into the cons um i know um you just you hit off the point um that you know, a lot of investment trusts, people have it in their head that their structure is set up that they have to pay out all their income and therefore they all pay a dividend. And that's actually not the case. Uh, a lot of investment trusts are purely focused on a growth-based portfolio. Um, like Scottish Mortgage, which I said is the biggest, and um, that only pays 0.3 of 1% of a dividend. Uh, or a, another another one uh, by Bailey Gifford the same investment manager but um, is Edinburgh Worldwide which pays zero uh, dividend um, or Worldwide Health zero dividend or um, Smithson uh, small cap uh, investment trust zero dividend so if you were looking for something that you wanted to set and forget um, and you didn't you didn't want a dividend you didn't want the tax implication that came with that um, you just wanted to set something and let it grow at a very at a very reasonable rate for the next 10 years without any tax situation uh, pick one that doesn't pick one that's been around for a long time has a very good track record and doesn't pay a dividend but sorry anyway going back to your your point about the cons i'm a bit of an advocate of investment trusts so. yeah look i suppose you you completely nailed it with the first con being um currency fluctuation they are the vast majority of them, with the exception of one I can think of off the top of my head, are all traded on the London Stock Exchange and therefore in uh, pounds. So I suppose if you ended back in a situation like two, June 2016 and we were in a Brexit situation again, 
um, and you'd have a massive forex risk. You know, you, your whole portfolio could collapse or well, not collapse, but it could see itself devalue on paper anyway, very quickly. Now, look, the UK pound is one of the securest currencies on the planet, so it's very unlikely anything's going to happen. But you know, there is there is that risk to it, all right. And and look, the point you you also picked up on the point earlier on the the manager risk. Uh, you know, if uh, if something happened with the manager, you know, um, that it could lead to a situation where you know your your whole investment trust could devalue for a period of time until the until there was a new manager appointed and uh, the market's got some trust in them. Now, that's actually, when you research that, these managers tend to stay with investment trusts 15, 20 years. You know, it doesn't, uh, 30, 40 years in some of their cases. So, um, but, uh, and then uh, another another problem can come around through liquidity. Some of the f- very small investment trusts, maybe, you know, uh, that only have 50 or 100 million sort of a net asset value you know um, they don't tend to get a lot of liquidity they don't get a lot of investors buying and selling so if you wanted to sell out you might have to put up your your shares and you could wait for a week or two for a buyer to come along to buy them now i have a rule of thumb that i try only go for the larger investment trusts interestingly enough when you research it it tends to happen that a lot of institutional investors actually have an in-house rule that they only invest in investment trusts from three that have a net asset value of three hundred million plus. So if you went for one, say of a look a billion pounds maybe, um, of net net asset value, you would be guaranteed good liquidity, and you would also be guaranteed pension funds and other institutional investors would be buying in. And uh, I suppose one last con there. I suppose they're they're not a fully passive income source or a fully passive investment that you would you would be sort of aiming for with ETFs in that you do need to put a little bit of research into it. You do need to research the investment managers themselves, have a look at their track record. Um, it, this stuff is all readily available on the AIC website and there is loads of blogs and websites that, that talk about this stuff all the time. So it's not hard to, to research, but once you have researched it, researched it it's very easy to set and forget this, um, these sorts of investments because they tend to just trundle along their own fairly successfully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very good, Andrew. And I think, you know, I, I, I think that's enough. There's, there's so much here that you've given us, and I will link all of this in the show notes for anybody listening, that, um, that it's certainly something that, you know, hopefully this is going to be a great uh, foundation for, for listeners to take and, and do some of their own research. You know, I remember when I heard the presentation the first time, as soon as I heard, oh, most of these are in pounds, I kind of, at the time, was sort of like, well, maybe they're not so great. But it actually hasn't, it's actually been since I talked to you more that I realized that actually, it actually probably doesn't matter so much. Because particularly if you're buying something like the JP Morgan, then you're not really planning on selling that anyway. You're going to be receiving a 4% dividend, which is what we want as a fire investor. And so we're effectively buying it whatever the currency does is somewhat irrelevant because we're just going to be receiving a dividend in pounds and we'll convert that at whatever exchange rate that we receive the dividend at. But exactly as you said, you're only going to be down on paper. And even the likes of Brexit, and I even said this back in 2016, I mean, the pound might be down, but it's it's only going to be down in, in the relatively short term. You know, I suspect in the next 10 to 20, 30, 40 years, it will find its its uh, its normal normal place again. So, 
you know, there's very much that argument as well to say that, well, look, you're going to be buying in this, you're buying it once, and then you're not, you're not needing to sell it, which is one of the great advantages of actually taking this approach. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, it's another an interesting point around around the, the currency. The currency risk is not a, actually, when you get into the mechanics of it, it's not actually as bad as you would expect because if you look at the underlying assets in the likes of JP Morgan Global, right, their underlying assets, when you fully research it, with the exception of 7%, which is, is UK-based, the other 93% is our international um, assets. So they're globally spread over more or less every major currency class. So if you did, all right, I know you have to buy and sell in, in, in pounds, but their underlying assets, if, if in, in, in an event... Uh, their underlying assets should prop up uh, their um, their discount or their their premium. Uh, it should keep them kind of above water for uh, long enough for, to allow things to stabilize. Yeah, very, very good, Andrew. Very good. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that we should be covering? There's I, I, another look from we have talked about the enhanced dividend and really I... One of the main things that got me interested in investment trusts was the dividend aspect. And if you go on the AIC website, they have a section what uh, that they call uh, dividend heroes. And they track any investment trust that um, has repeatedly increased its dividend every year. And they call them dividend heroes. And say, as an example... Um, City of London Investment Trust, which is now that's a pure UK income investment trust. So it, it just it mainly just invests in um, FTSE 100 and FTSE 250 companies, but that has that has paid out a growing income or a growing dividend for 53 consecutive years. Now, for anyone that would be skeptical towards a uh, investment trust, if you think. Of what has happened in 53 years, uh, 54 years, we've had uh, uh, the stock market crash of 1987, we've had uh, the credit crunch, we've had uh, the dot-com bubble, we've had uh, COVID. And that leads on then to, uh, it actually increased its dividend last year because investment trusts have this very special mechanism within them which makes them so successful and it's probably kept them alive i suppose for the last 150 years and since their existence began but and that's uh, they're able to hold on to capital reserves so say in very good years they might they would have they'd make a fair bit of profit from trimming off uh, shares and for excess dividends and special dividends coming in so they'd stick 15 or 20 percent as a cash reserve stick it away and then in a year like like last year the COVID year where their dividend income completely collapsed, they're able to take out the capital reserves and they're able to prop up uh, their dividends and grow it and grow it every year. So the city of London um, has has grown it for um, 54 years, but they're only one, like there, there's 20 on that list at the moment of dividend heroes. And that's that's companies that, sorry, there's, there's 34 on the list, but they've grown their dividends for at least um uh, 20 odd years but then there's another list um on on the dividend section on the ASE website of companies that have grown it for in excess of 10 years so there's there's loads of choice and 
Another interesting point, 85% of dividend generating investment trusts increased their dividend in 2020 in the COVID year versus on the open-ended fund side, only 23% of funds increased their dividend. So uh, the other 77% uh, didn't. So no, I mean, it just proves that from an income investor's perspective, investment trusts are a relatively safe pair of hands to be to be involved in or to be investing in, I mean. Excellent, Andrew. Look, the last question I have, I know we covered this briefly at the start, but I know that I'm going to get this question uh, from listeners. So the best place to go then, once, once uh, listeners have done their research, the best place to go to buy these, I think you mentioned Interactive Brokers as one of the brokers that actually... Uh, you can get these on. Can you get these some of these on Digero as well? You can, yeah, you can actually. I don't. I don't know what actually happened with Digero, but even there is there's there's uh, a lot of American REITs as well that are available on Digero, uh, such as um, Iron Mountain or you know some of these sorts of uh, REITs. But from the UK investment trusts perspective on Digero, they've really cut back on them like you used to i actually if you go back a few years you you could buy scottish mortgage and i have scottish mortgage on my digero account but i can't add to it anymore so i i don't know what's actually happened with digero um and investment trusts but actually interestingly enough you can actually buy that jp Morgan global income and growth fund or trust that's that's available on digero but if you want the full the full 400 investment trusts that you can find on the Association of Investment Companies website, if you had an investment or interactive broker account, uh, they actually have every investment trust under. Andrew, this has been extremely comprehensive. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, it's, it's been absolutely great. And I think you've, you've answered a lot of questions that I've had as well on these. It's actually been even more in depth than your original presentation. So yeah, thank you so much for that. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we just really can't thank you enough. Yeah, no problem. Uh, look, sure, I hope it's um, it's a starting point for people, you know, to get involved in doing some investing instead of having your money uh, being eaten away by inflation in the bank account at the moment. Excellent. And guys, for anybody who would like to get in touch with Andrew, I would suggest come along and joined the Limerick Meetup FI group and Andrew's a regular regular member there. I don't think you've missed many, Andrew, if, if any. So um, yeah, hopefully if anybody has any questions, they can come and ask you uh, personally at one of the meetups. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you're a big fan of the show, why not become an Irish Fire podcast member for free? Members receive access to inside information that isn't shared on the podcast as well as regular updates such as the monthly newsletter. To become a member, visit www.firepodcast.ie.